0: Good morning, church. Back-to-back weeks. After eight months of not preaching, I get two straight weeks. I didn't have another lion shirt, though, that I could wear, so you just get the regular American polo. Um, We are going to be in John 7, verses 25 through 36 this morning. We're continuing our study through the Gospel of John. John 7:25 through 36. If you have a Bible, I would encourage you to open it up. We're going to be in this text this morning looking around at it. It's helpful to have it in front of you and you can follow along in the screen behind me as well as I read. John 7:25 through 36. Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, "Is this is not this the man whom they are seeking to kill?" And here he is, speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, When the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him, and the chief priests and Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. Jesus then said, Where I am, you cannot come. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, you have revealed yourself in your word, And your word is true. We sung that this morning already. Your word alone is solid ground. God, we stand on the truth when we stand on your word. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us eyes to see what is in your word this morning. Give us faith to trust what we see and hearts to love and embrace what we see because it comes from you and we want to see you and we want to trust you and we want to love you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. When you meet someone here in the UAE, what's probably one of the first few questions that you ask them. It's, where are you from? Where are you from? You probably don't ask them that. Ask someone that you meet in your hometown, back in your home country, especially not if it's a village or a smaller town. You assume that they're from there unless you see indications to think otherwise. But here in the UAE, we all know that we come from different places. And so we ask, where do you come from? And we ask that because when you find out where someone's from, you can infer, you can come to some conclusions about that person based upon where they're from. So if you were to meet someone and ask where are you from, and you find out they're from Peshawar, Pakistan, well, you may not know exactly what language they speak, but you could probably infer that they speak Pashto and that they're... Pashtun. If they say instead, though, that they're from Lahore, Pakistan, then you, again, may not be right, but you could probably infer that they are Punjabi, and they speak Punjabi, Where you come from makes a difference. That's going to be all the more different if you meet someone they say they're from Delhi, India, or if they're from Dhaka, Bangladesh, or Colombo, Sri Lanka, you may look at someone, especially if you're an outsider, you may not know based upon looking upon where someone came from, but when you find out, you can come to conclusions about them because people are shaped by their origins. Where we come from plays a part in who we are. This is true of people, and this is true of Jesus. John seven twenty-five through 36 shows us where did Jesus come from? And it absolutely makes a difference for us to see where Jesus comes from. But John seven doesn't only show where Jesus comes from. It shows where he is right now, where he went after his earthly ministry. And we're going to work through this passage. And what we're going to see is that in order to know Jesus truly, you have to know where he comes from and where he goes to. You have to know that Jesus comes from God and Jesus goes to God. Those are our two points for the sermon. Jesus comes from God, and Jesus goes to God. And at the end, we're gonna stop and we're gonna reflect on why it's important to come and hear from Jesus ourselves and to listen to Him for the answers to our questions. So, first, Jesus comes from God. That's what John shows us in verses 25 through 31. Last week, we saw, we're working through the Gospel of John week by week, and we saw last week that Jesus challenged the people not to judge by appearances. Don't make your decisions based upon what looks to be right in front of you. Instead, judge by right judgment. He challenged the Pharisees, stop trying to live for what other people can see. They were so focused on their outward law keeping that they missed that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law, the one the law points to. In verse 25, however, we see that people, even after Jesus' charge, don't judge by appearances, judge with right judgment. Verse 25 shows that people are still judging by appearances. Look at verse 25, if you have your Bibles. Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said... Is this not the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from. And when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So Jesus hears them and he responds. Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, You know me and you know where I come from, but I have not come on my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him you do not know. I know him for I came from him and he sent me. The crowd is looking at Jesus through a pre existing worldview. They have a worldview, they have glasses on, and they're seeing Jesus through their assumptions through what they already believe to be true they assume that they have all the data all the information that they need to make the right conclusion about who jesus is in verse 26 they wonder aloud if jesus really could be the christ because the authorities appear to be letting jesus stand there and teach maybe the authorities know something that the people don't know now as readers of the gospel we know that that is ridiculous because the authorities may appear to allow Jesus to speak because they fear the crowds and they don't want the crowds to turn against them. But behind the scenes, they're trying to arrest Jesus. They're not letting him speak because he's the Christ. They're letting him speak because they can't stop God's purposes. And so they wonder if maybe Jesus is this long-awaited king of Israel, Maybe Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the one that we are supposed to be looking for. But as soon as they raise that, they dismiss it. They say, nope, couldn't possibly be. And the reason is because they say, we know where this man comes from. And when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So they think and they say, nope, we know where Jesus comes from. We're not going to know where the Christ comes from therefore Jesus isn't the Christ. Why are they saying that? What are they saying by saying we won't know where the Christ will come from? I mean, these people were familiar with their Bibles, right? They had Old Testament prophecies. Well, what they're not saying is that no one will know the hometown of the king of Israel when he comes, the messiah. That can't be the case because just a few verses later here in verse 42, there's division among the crowd about where Jesus came from, and they say, has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So they're not saying no one's going to know where the Christ is going to come from. They must be saying something different because they know the Christ comes from David's offspring and from David's village. So what do they mean by no one's going to know where the Christ comes from? What they're doing here is they are judging by appearances. The idea that no one will know where the Christ will come from until he is revealed, it's not found in the Old Testament. It's found in the writings that took place after the Old Testament, what we sometimes call the Apocrypha. This is a traditional teaching. It's not inspired by God. And it was a teaching that would say, how do you know who to look for? Look for the one who has power and glory. You'll know the Christ when he has conquered his enemies. You'll know the Christ when he stands victorious, having delivered Israel from the oppressors. Look to that man. He'll be clear to you because he has conquered. That's who the Christ is. The way that you recognize the Christ, according to this traditional teaching, was by looking for earthly power And earthly glory. Jesus, the crowd reasons, doesn't have earthly power. Jesus doesn't have earthly glory. Therefore, Jesus isn't the Christ. They see him, but they don't recognize him. They assume that they would recognize the Christ. But here Jesus is. And it's not like he hasn't done miraculous signs that set him apart as unique. He has. And yet they don't know who he really is, the king of Israel, the one in which the Old Testament points to and anticipates. Why not? Because they were looking for earthly glory. But the glory that Jesus has is not earthly glory. If you look for earthly glory as your indication, you'll miss Jesus. Jesus does not have earthly glory because he has heavenly origins. That's what Jesus tells them. He says, you know me, but you don't know where I come from, really, because you don't know the one who sent me. In verses 28 through 29, he says, I came from God. Before Jesus ever came from Nazareth, he came from the Father. We've seen this before in the Gospel of John. Just listen to John 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Before Galilee ever existed, Jesus was with God. Before this world was ever created, Jesus was with the Father. He always was. This is called the doctrine of the Incarnation. God took on flesh. Jesus really had a human birth. He really had a hometown in Israel. But that was not his beginning. And that was not where he came from. He came from God. The eternal son of God, the second member of the Trinity, one with the father, took on flesh and dwelt among us. The glory that Jesus makes known is not the glory of earth. It is not the glory of kings or princes or Pharisees. The glory that Jesus makes known is the glory of the eternal Father, the one who always was, who has no beginning and who has no end. The crowd can't see that. Jesus did not come in order to get glory for himself. Do you know that? Jesus did not come to earth because he was lacking in glory and he needed to fill up his glory account. Jesus has always had glory. In fact, later on in the Gospel of John in John 17, Jesus says that the day in which he will stand before us fully in glory where no one will be able to miss him. That day, Jesus will be glorified with the glory he had in the beginning. It's not with additional glory. It's not with new glory. It's with the same glory that he had with the Father before everything was made. Jesus didn't come to become more glorious than he already was. You can't add anything to Jesus. Jesus didn't come to get glory. Jesus came to show glory. He came to display glory. He came to make the glory of the Father known. That's why the Father sent him. That's what his mission is. His mission is to reveal God to us. So that when we look at Jesus standing before us, we see God. When we hear Jesus teaching us, we hear God. Listen to John 1 again. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. If you look at Jesus through the glasses of this world, you will not see glory. Just as sunglasses darken all the brightness and tint everything dark. If you look through the glasses of this world at Jesus, you will only see the world. It will taint his glory. It will darken his glory. You will not be able to recognize it as glory because all that you're looking for is earthly glory. His brightness and glory will be darkened by the glasses of the world and by your love for this world. But if you take off the glasses... If you see Jesus as he truly is, if you stand and behold him in your glory, you will see the glory of the Father. You will see the glory of God. Jesus came from God in order to make God known to us, to make God known, to shine the brightness of the glory of God for people to see. And this is why his mission can't fail is because if he comes from God, then God will ensure that his glory will be displayed. That's the real reason the Pharisees can't catch him. It's not that he's sneakier than they are. It's because, did you see, his hour has not yet come. The glory of God, the brightness of God, will be made clear most fully as Jesus hangs on that cross. As a substitute for sinners. As he dies in the place of people who have rebelled against God. And is there. So that people can see this is the love of God displayed. This is the glory of God displayed. The pinnacle of God's glory is God's grace. And we see that in Jesus. And that's why his mission cannot fail of making God known. That is why his hour has not yet come. After hearing these words, many people, it says, believe that Jesus is the Christ. Now, it's tricky when John uses the word believe, because sometimes people believe in a truly saving way, and other times he wants to show us something. I don't think these people truly believe yet. And the reason is because they're believing based upon what the signs that Jesus has done. They still aren't listening to his words. They're looking at his signs And earlier, if you go back to John chapter 4, you see that faith that's grounded in signs isn't real faith at all. You need to listen to Jesus. But these people may believe, genuinely. But Jesus doesn't stop teaching yet. Because the people need to know not just where he comes from. They need to know where he's going. They need to know where he is right now. And that's our second point. Jesus goes to God. Look at verses 32 if you have a Bible. The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him. And the chief priests and the Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. And then Jesus said, I will be with you a little longer. And then I am going to him who sent me. And you will seek me and you will not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks, to the exile of Jewish people living in Greek lands? Does he go to teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying, you will seek me and you will not find me, and where I am you cannot come? The Pharisees are looking to arrest Jesus. And Jesus uses their physical seeking, in order to show something about their spiritual state. He's using their physical seeking to reveal their spiritual problem. They're seeking Jesus in order to kill him, in order to arrest him, in order to get their own glory back. They see Jesus as a threat to glory. We saw that last week. And so they're seeking to deal with him. But they won't be able to find him. And the reason is because they're seeking him in the wrong way. They are not seeking him in faith. They're seeking him from unbelief. And that's why they can't find him. But if they were to seek Jesus in faith, to seek him truly, to be able to follow him where he goes, then they would not just find Jesus, but they would find God also. Jesus said that he is going to God. This is talking about the ascension of Christ. Pastor John read from Acts 1 as our scripture reading. The reason he read that is because Jesus goes to God. He ascends. He's not here on earth right now. He has gone to the Father. But have you ever stopped and wondered why that had to happen? Like, Jesus will never die again. Why couldn't he just live forever on earth? I mean, wouldn't our problems be solved if we had Jesus with us? that we could say, oh, let's bring Jesus up and see what Jesus has this answer to this world's problems. Let's invite Jesus into this council meeting. Let's have Jesus speak with this king. Why'd Jesus go to the Father? There's a number of reasons. I I have four. The first reason is that Jesus went to the Father to show that he rules over all. Jesus is not the king of a particular nation. If you were still on earth... You might be tempted to think, ah, let's let's bring the other kings and Jesus can sit on the council of kings together. He may have the loudest voice, but we'll still listen to him. And he he has a vote just like we have a vote. But Jesus is not merely the king of Israel. He ascended to the Father to show that Jesus is the king of the nations. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him He rules over all until his enemies will be made a footstool for his feet. He ascended to rule over all. And this leads to our second reason for the ascension. He ascended to empower his church's mission. John read that. In in Acts 1, we hear that when Jesus ascends, he gives his church a charge. And it's not to be his witnesses to the Jews alone. It's not to make sure that Israel is taken care of. It's to be witnesses from Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He ascends, and in his ascension, he changes everything for the church. Because as the body of the heavenly Christ, the church makes Christ known to the ends of the earth. The kingdom spreads through the gospel being preached. It doesn't spread through the sword of conquering. It's through the Word of God. The Pharisees, the irony here is the Pharisees weren't really that far off when they wondered if Jesus would go to the Greeks and go to the dispersion. Peter is going to write a letter to the dispersion later on in the New Testament because Jesus has gone to the dispersion. But it's not physically, he ascended and then commissions his church to go to the ends of the earth to make disciples of all the nations. Here's how one theologian said it about how Jesus' ascension changes everything on earth. He said, the spread of the gospel geographically, moving from one country to the whole world, and the birth of the church is inseparable from Jesus' reign in the heavens. Earthly space was reordered by the heavenly Christ. Without the ascension, there would be no mission. We still call people to come to see Jesus but we don't point them to Jerusalem. We point them to Christ in heaven so that you can come to Jesus from Alain. You can come to Jesus from Dubai, from Pakistan, from Bangladesh, from India, from the Philippines. You can come to Jesus wherever you are because he has ascended and gone to the Father. Third, Jesus ascended to pour out his spirit. Later on, the Gospel of John teaches that it would actually be better for us to have Jesus in heaven than to have Jesus physically with us on earth. It's to the church's advantage that Jesus go away because Jesus goes to heaven to send the Spirit. Listen to John 16. Jesus says, nevertheless, he's talking to his disciples here. He says, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go I will send him to you. Because of the ascension, Jesus doesn't merely live outside of us, walking alongside of us. Because of the ascension, Christ dwells in us by his spirit. We don't get on a plane to go to Jesus, we have fellowship with Jesus right now. And all the blessings and benefits that Jesus has purchased our holiness, our righteousness, our power to obey, all of that is applied to us by the Spirit. Jesus goes in order to send the Spirit to us. And finally, because of the ascension, Jesus brings us to God. That's his point. He is our great high priest who stands in the presence of our Father. He stands before God right now, and he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to God except through Jesus. But if we go through Jesus, then like Paul says, we have access to God with confidence because Jesus stands there right now in our place. Jesus restores the fellowship with God that was broken at sin. Jesus brings us into the presence of the Father so that all we with unveiled face can behold the glory of the Lord. We are able to have fellowship with God right here and right now. Real, genuine relationship with God. It's not fake. We really can have access to God because Jesus is there. He restores things the way they are meant to be. He descended in the incarnation in order to ascend to bring us to God. This is only good news. If you want God. That's what makes Christianity so radical, is that the good news of Christianity is not the gifts that God gives us. This is where things like the prosperity gospel, which so many of you from Africa have experienced and grown up in churches that preach the prosperity gospel, that God wants to make you rich, God wants to make you healthy, God wants to make you wealthy, The danger of that is it says God wants to give you things that will make you happy on earth. And it obscures the fact that the best thing that God gives you is God. Jesus comes in order to bring us to God. And if you don't want God, you're not going to want Jesus. That's why the Pharisees could seek all they want. But they wouldn't find him because they didn't want God. But when you have come to Jesus... And you've experienced the pleasure of a father that allows you to say, whom have I in heaven but you? On earth there is nothing that I desire besides you. My heart and my flesh may fail, but you are the strength of my heart and my portion forever. You're able to say, I care about God infinitely more than I care about his gifts. The good news of Christianity is you get God. The good news of Jesus' ascension is that he brings you to God. And this gift is yours if you simply turn to Jesus in faith and see the real thing that he offers you. He does not promise to conquer all your earthly enemies. He does not promise to give you all the earthly power you want. You may be a broken, weak person, but you will have God. And that is the best thing that Jesus can give you. Church, we are not merely the people of the risen Christ. We are the people of the risen and ascended Christ. Because Jesus has gone to God. Right now, he is standing in God's presence. There is a man who shares your nature, standing before the Father, making a case for all of those who trust in him. He says, this person is a sinner, but I have stood in their place. They're mine. They belong to me. And sinful people can go to God through Jesus. One day he will return and we will see him with our own eyes. His kingdom will be on earth and we will have God dwelling with us. But right now, we really have fellowship with our heavenly Savior. And he gives us the best gift of all, God himself. Which brings us to the final question that I want to close with. I want to notice something that the crowd and that the Pharisees don't do. Jesus is teaching them. He's saying some hard things to them. He tells them, don't judge by appearances, judge with right judgment. He says to them, you don't know God. He says to them, you can't come with me. And notice what they don't do. They don't ask him. They don't go to him and ask him for answers. When Jesus says these hard things to them, they step back, they turn, and they mutter to each other. They talk among themselves. The crowd mutters among themselves, saying, Isn't this the man they're seeking to kill? He can't possibly be the Christ. The Pharisees mutter among themselves, saying, I wonder where he's going. Maybe he's going to the Greeks they don't come to him and ask. They assume that they have all the answers and that they don't need to go to Jesus for the answers. They don't say, where are you going, Jesus? They simply assume that they know. If we're going to know Jesus, then we need to come to him with our questions and listen to what he says. We need to see how he answers them and not assume that we already have the answers to them. So many of us think that we have the answers to all of life's questions and that we don't need to listen to anyone else. We need to just simply maybe journal. Let's just journal, then we'll figure it out. Or we need to reflect inside, or sometimes we don't even do anything. We just say what we need to do. But it's only through Jesus that we find the answers that we're actually looking for. For example, many of us can struggle with truths in the scriptures like God's sovereignty over all things. Or God's goodness. that He really is perfectly good. God's knowledge of all things. The holiness of God. The fact that he can't stand in the place of sin. The wrath of God. That God will pour out wrath and judgment upon the wicked. We struggle with these theological truths, and we try to reason our way to finding an answer to relieve the tension that we feel inside. But if we were to come to Jesus and we were to listen to Jesus, then we would see there's no tension between these truths. God is perfectly sovereign. He is perfectly holy. He is perfectly loving. And he will judge the wicked in wrath. He's perfectly just. When we come to Jesus and we listen to how Jesus talks, we realize the problem is not in God. And the problem's not in God's word. The problem and the tension is in us. God's ways are higher than our ways. And we need to submit our reasoning to the scriptures. We need to look at truth through Jesus' words. Rather than through our own eyes. Or many of us want to see our friends and our neighbors come to know Jesus. We're here because we want to see more people know Jesus. We build relationships with them, we sit with them, we talk with them, we eat and we drink with them. But have we ever opened up Jesus' words to them and had them hear about Jesus for themselves? Or do we simply reason with them on their own existing framework, trying to get to Jesus through the worldview that they already have, rather than saying, Why don't you listen to this man? He has the answers to the questions that you're looking for. Brothers and sisters, the way that people will change their view of Jesus is by coming to Jesus and by listening to Jesus. The way that people will recognize, I've been wearing glasses that blind me to who he is this whole time is by taking off the glasses and by seeing him for who he truly is in the words. Brothers and sisters, let's not be like the crowd or the Pharisees. Let's not assume that we have all the answers muttering among ourselves or letting others mutter among themselves. But let's take the words of Jesus and hold them out. Let's submit what we see and what we think to the words of Jesus. Let's bring our problems and our questions to Jesus. He's not afraid of them. He's not sitting there thinking, I hope that Luke doesn't bring me a really hard one. He's not ashamed of things that his father gives him to say. Jesus speaks in perfect truth. And we shouldn't be ashamed of what he says either. We should be freely holding out what he says. In coming and listening, because that's the way that we find life. When we listen to Jesus' words, we come to know him as he truly is and not who we would like him to be. And it's only through the real Jesus that we enjoy fellowship with the eternal God forever. Let's pray. Jesus, you are the way, the truth, and the life. We confess that no one comes to the Father except through you, Jesus. Right now, we are able to pray to God in your name because you are before the Father, making our case for us. We pray that you would help us to see you as you truly are. Thank you, Jesus, that you speak to us, that you have made the glory of the Father known. And forgive us for seeking earthly glory. As we continue to worship you through singing, Lord, we pray that you would help us to trust the words that we sing. In Jesus' name, amen.